a droplet lands in a puddle, and its tiny echo thunders through the warehouse rafters. Every shuffle of the adventurer's feet makes them wince. The rogue's voice comes from the shadows above. Ah, friends, you've come back to Vaux? The others look at the rogue, stood beside them, with a face white as parchment, lips clamped shut. We've come to... The cleric holds up a hand for the fighter to stop speaking. Her words echo many times longer than they should. Another sound of skittering, and a large form spirals down a wooden pillar, its mottled lizard body carried by eleven spindly legs. A human face, drawn and unconcerned looking, extends away from the body on a worm-like neck until it's inches from the fighter's nose. The air stands still, full of the scent of flaking skin and dry coughs. You've come to talk, of course. Surely your friend's newfound silence is an improvement over their lying tongue. You can be honest with foe. You can't really want it back. Hello and welcome to Making a Monster, the bite-sized podcast where game designers show you their favorite monster and we discover how it works, why it works, and what it means. I'm Lucas Zellers. The human voice is the most influential sound in the world. Your voice is made not just by your throat, but also by your lungs, the resonating spaces in your skull, your tongue, even the shape of your teeth. And it's very sensitive to the way you treat all of those things. It changes over time just as you do. In short, it's a reflection of who you are, as unique as a fingerprint. As a podcaster, I am more familiar with the sound of my own voice than most, so a monster that threatens to take it is a monster that haunts my dreams. And who do I have to blame for that? My name is Kai Linder. I am a writer and editor on DM Skilled and working on other TTRPGs as well. I'd always really liked the idea of bringing music into D&D a lot more. Originally, the idea for musical subclasses started with the thought of, I want to actually make just some fun little songs that people can insert. Here's a song that mercenaries like to sing, and if you sing it around mercenaries, you have advantage or other bonus on negotiating with them. But if you play it around nobles, the nobles will get pissed off and they won't like you as much. And just making up little things like that that weren't necessarily me- meant to be magical, but maybe someone like a bard could cast a spell using it because bards are the instrumentalists. And I was thinking, oh, what else can I put in this book? Ooh, subclasses. And just toying around with it, I ended up thinking, actually, let's do subclasses first, because this is the the most player-facing thing that I think people would like, and decided to just do it as a series that lets me release it regularly and constantly draw attention to them. And it's been really, really well-received. Very, very pleasantly, pleasantly surprised about that and have enjoyed having that kind of start to become associated with my brand. I have the Path of the War Drummer for Barbarian, Pact of the Bell for Warlock, Whistler, which is for Rangers, that makes sense, the Dancer for Rogue, the School of Incantation, the Way of Harmony for Monk. What's the next subclass coming up? So the next one that's coming out on January 4th is the Oath of Hymns Paladin. So that one will be all about chanting hymns and incantations to create musical auras around yourself. Give the Paladin even more auras to... (laughs) <laughs> to power up their friends that are nearby. 
Because, you know, everyone looks at paladins and says, not enough auras, needs more auras. So, (laughs) more auras. Among that whole list, the College of Silence for bards is a bit of a sore thumb. Why this sudden reversal? Part of it was just, it tickled me a bit that everyone gets a musical subclass (laughs) and we get to bard and we go, you know what, you've got enough musical stuff. Let's have someone who's just quiet and counters all of that stuff. And if if someone's going to do it, I want it to be the bard for fun, for the sake of fun. It's, I mean, everyone knows the stereotypical bard is loud and boisterous, so let's subvert that and have a bard who's quiet and contemplative. In each of these individual subclasses, I have a little like uh, sidebar at the very end that says, oh, here's three samples of this kind of music. So here's an African war drum, here's an American drum beat, here's what handbells sound like. For College of Silence, uh, John Cage's 433 is the first example, I think, that I used as a sound bite for silence. The College of Silence comes with a creature you've named Vo the Voice Snatcher. Why is this the monster you wanted to talk about today? So I have designed a few other different monsters, but I feel like this one in particular, A, it's it's linking, as we have touched on a little bit, to the, the current brand of musical subclasses. But <laughs> B, because I think of all the monsters I've designed, it best expresses my design philosophies and the kind of things I like to play with when I design monsters. I know, of course, the reference that this immediately calls to my mind, because I was of a certain age at a certain time in history. But before I bring it into the conversation, I wanted to ask, what were your influences for Vo the Voice Snatcher? Unfortunately, I'd, I'd say that it's a little bit less interesting than you might expect in <laughs> that I think there's not really, other than the the obvious one that, that you or many people might think of, which is Ko the Face Stealer from Avatar The Last Airbender, I don't really have any specific conscious influences or inspirations for this. There's just like general feelings. As as someone who's moved a lot and lived in a lot of different places, I don't really have my own specific culture to to draw on for this. So it's not taken from any specific culture. Chinese mythology, for example, loves using human faces on creatures. There's And just loads of other ones like to pull on these little different threads of of taking away people's expressions and such. But I couldn't remember ever having seen anything or read anything that, that does it specifically to voices. If, if someone knows of one, feel free to feel free <laughs> to let me know. I would love to learn about it. But for the most part, it was just a, one of those strokes of inspiration where it was like, oh, I want to do this. Oh, this reminds me a little bit of Ko. Okay, so we got to avoid copying him. But I definitely <laughs> loved the imagery of Ko where you go to a place, you speak to a creepy thing who is willing to deal with you. But you really, really don't want to be there and you want to leave as soon as you can. So I definitely wanted to draw on that emotion of, of how Ko the face stealer made me feel in a certain way and see if I could twist it a little bit even more. Do you think this is more impactful, the voice, than, than the stealing of a face would be and why? That's a good question. I, I think the gut reflex is that having your face stolen is much creepier. Because a lot of people also tend to think very, very visually about this sort of thing. What does it look like for you to not have a face anymore? I, I personally do think the voice is very creepy, possibly more so because I think voices are very underappreciated, which might sound silly at first because we use them every day. People, people sing and talk to each other a lot, but I think that's why it's underappreciated, the, the loss of that. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the average person probably takes their voice for granted and would feel very alienated in in losing that method of self-expression which kind of is shared with your face giving actual expressions so i I think because it is much more a precise communication tool for i guess who and what you are i think it can have a deeper 
impact than losing your expression. I want to talk about mechanics. How is this ability to snatch a voice encoded into Vo's stat block? He has a few unique voice-oriented mechanics to help him work, but the he has a snatch voice reaction that recharges each turn on a five or six, so he can potentially use it multiple times in a in a combat or in a day. He can target any creature within 30 feet that he's heard speak, and he can force them to make a charisma saving throw. If Vo has caught the person lying or telling any untruth in the last minute, they have disadvantage on this. So telling the truth makes you a lot less susceptible to Vo. If you fail the save, he just straight up rips your voice away. You take a bunch of psychic damage. He gains 10 current and maximum hit points as he steals your voice, which means the more voices he steals, the more powerful he gets. And he can just stack up and get tougher and tougher as he goes. The creature loses the ability to use their voice in any way whatsoever. And Vo becomes able to use that creature's voice at will. This only ends and the creature only regains their voice when Vo dies or willingly returns the voice. There's no duration on this. It's indefinite. You don't get your voice back after an hour. If he steals your voice, you either need to kill him or you need to trade him something for it. <laughs> Which is nice and nice and rough. But he's I put him at uh, challenge level, uh, level 11. So most adventures will be pretty tough if they come up against him. But... He's a, pr- a pretty strong problem or a pretty strong creature that demands to be dealt with. Have you assigned Vo to a particular environment or a place in the game? Where does he usually hang out? Yeah, so I've, I've given him a layer in the product. No layer actions, but he does have layers. He prefers to layer underground or in large buildings because he likes places that can preferably be nice and echoey he likes lots of open space and darkness so that he can move around in there and hide in the shadow while still being able to hear what's going on so so caves and abandoned warehouses are perfect for him and he tries to find any of those that are near either well-traveled roads or population centers because vo needs to be near people so it's finding these big abandoned dark empty play echoey places that can potentially lure people in if you have a group of players who have encountered Vo, who have gone through this visceral, creepy experience the way you intended it to be had. What are the things you want them to remember? Or is there anything that you feel this creature would help them understand after having encountered it? Uh, good question. Um, I, I think one of the things is, as I touched on earlier is the power of expression and how people underappreciate their voice because if if play, playing D, everyone wants to express their character they want to be cool they want to say this is what my character is about and vote in a significant way takes that away and players will very much want to get that back i, ca- I can't imagine any player that i've ever had having that happen to them and going eh, well let's let's go find some gold somewhere else I, I would hope that it would make them look at how potentially as well they communicate within the party, both in and out of character. Because I think one of the things that I, that I like about this, about Vo, is, it, is, it, is one of the actual other mechanics I gave him. He has an ability called Life from Sound, where whenever he hears a creature within 30 feet use their voice, he regains uh, a little bit of hit points. So the more you talk, the more he heals and the harder he is to defeat. And I like the idea of that pushing your players to try and in character, they need to communicate without speaking. They need to have an idea of what the others are going to do. You kind of have to have to trust that 
okay, we know that our barbarian's probably going to run in. We know that our, our wizard actually really doesn't like damage spells, so he'll try and buff someone. Our cleric, did our cleric bring bring healing spells today? I, I, I would like for this kind of thing to, to evoke that that feeling of disrupted communication that means you appreciate the communication you do have afterwards, if, the, if that makes sense. <laughs> it absolutely does. I think one of the core principles of playing a character in a D&D game is predictability. People tend to use the adjective predictable like it's a bad thing. And I think it's a synonym for reliable. And in that case, it's really powerful. Yeah, and I like that by potentially taking this away, obviously out of character, people can still share tactics, but it's the kind of thing where you as the DM using Vo, one player might say, "Oh, I'm gonna, oh, 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 wizard, I'm I'm gonna go get next to him. Can you cast haste on me next turn, and then I'll do this." And then you as the DM can say, "Okay, how are you communicating that in character? Are you going? Would you like to speak and tell them that? Are you gonna give them a knowing look? Is your relationship in character good enough that you can trust each other to do this?" And I, I just I just really like how that works in throwing that reliability of. Of it's easy for us to just say tactics at each other and kind of disrupts that, as you say. I feel like I've put some of my own kind of design uh, preferences into Vo. And I think another way I've done that that I haven't mentioned yet is his damage vulnerability. Normally, obviously, damage vulnerabilities in D&D are just cold, fire, slashing, whatever. And you take your, and you take your damage from that. But I, I had fun introducing a different a different way of doing that that's more specific with him, and I gave him a damage vulnerability to any damage that's dealt while he's in the area of a zone of truth spell, embracing this whole notion that magically compelled truth is the best way to defeat him. <laughs> Which gives gives a nice way for players, if they want to, to try and figure out a way to help defeat Vo much more easily that also has a little bit of a message to it. What are some of those design principles that you tend to rely on when you make your games? In terms of monsters specifically, I do try to give them more things to do than just an action on their turn. Vo has legendary reactions, so he can move around, bite, and do like a paralyzing shriek. But he also has abilities like that Life from Sound one I mentioned, where you always have to be thinking about this monster even on your turn because he can do things outside of his turn. I like trying to find ways to make creatures break reliability. I think your point about reliability earlier was just a a really good one and perfect for expressing one of the things that I like doing, which is finding a way to make a monster very memorable by breaking what's reliable, but also finding a way to, to do that by staying within the mechanical bounds instead of just you know, shattering the whole game and saying this monster gets five turns. It's, <laughs> it's finding a way to disrupt reliability while also using mechanics that are, that are basically first and foremost also very flavorful. So I try my best whenever I design something to make the mechanics be entirely in support of, of a flavor concept, which uh, is probably obvious from the, <laughs> from the musical subclasses and the, the yeah. silence theme. The other question that this brings up is by tying Vo so strongly to lies and deceit, you've opened him up to to a whole nother area of lore and folklore and mythology. And that's the way that we approach truth as an ideal, as something that we that we have to work with or pursue, especially in the genre of heroic fantasy. Why was it important to you that truth be so mechanically involved? in what Vo does and is. I don't want it to be something where he shows up and he just takes it and runs away. You need to have a way to fight back that's not combat. And in this case, if someone's stealing your voice, 
I figured either either something about, oh, if he's heard your voice or if he's heard you lie. And I think given given the kind of modus operandi of most adventuring parties, trying to find a strong way to make them tell the truth is a pretty is a pretty deadly tool for a monster to have because everyone loves to lie and outwit the monsters. And this is one that kind of flips it around. And at the same time, as you mentioned, there's a lot of different kind of cultural interpretations and way of discussing truth and lies. Typically, the bad guy is the one who lies and enforces other people's lies. Vo is honest. Vo does not lie. Vo hates lying, and he punishes other people who lie. And I think that's more interesting because... It's it's more interesting for people to start fearing the truth, and I think it's something a bit more complex to explore than fearing lies, because everyone sees that crop up in media all the time. But what what you have to fear in a double edged sword of truth is a very is a very kind of different beast that is explored a lot less, especially in like the traditional D and D monster sense. Thank you for listening to Making a Monster. If you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, please share it with the people you play games with. Your recommendation will go a long way toward helping people trust me with their time and attention. If you want to explore the relationship of truth, identity, and heroism by putting Vo the Voice Snatcher in your game, you can follow the link in the show notes to get the Bard College of Silence for D&D 5th Edition for 50 cents, a full 75% off. The discount is only available to the first 50 people who click the link, so don't wait. Kai's latest musical subclass, The Music Domain for Clerics, releases today on the DMs Guild. To learn more, follow Kai on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at at Paradoliac, that's P-A-R-A-D-O-L-I-A-K. Follow me there if you want to hear more random design insights and keep track of all the, the weird or cool stuff I'll be releasing over the next year. You can also support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash scintilla studio. Patrons get early access to episodes as well as a whole bunch of other monstrous perks, including stickers and special events. That's patreon.com slash S-C-I-N-T-I-L-L-A studio. Next time on Making a Monster. But night's falling and it's getting dark and the characters are starting to worry that well, maybe whatever it is that did this might be coming back. And then the healer notices something as night goes down. The shadows don't quite line up in the room right. The light is not reacting the way it should. The soft lights that are lighting up the computer gear in the room, and yet there are shadows there where there shouldn't be. A shadow in the corner, towering about six feet tall, hunched over, and flowing like a, a cloud of smoke off of his shoulders is long, black, shimmering feathers, like a, a massive raven's wing, all laid out like a blanket. And attached to its hands are six-inch long, bony fingertips that have old, dried flesh on the tips. Let's do initiative. <laughs>